from lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com. This is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Megan Kane, also known as the Creative Vegetable Gardener, is back on the show today. She joined us back in episode 557 for an episode I still remember. It was all about preserving the garden harvest. That's something that Megan is an absolute pro at. I learned a ton from her. But today we're discussing how to garden smart and how to be a smart gardener with the help of her Smart Start Garden Planner. Think of all the adjectives you associate with the term gardener. Hopeful, constant, keen, enthusiastic, practical, skilled. How about tired? How about smart? As gardeners, we've all experienced the feeling of bumbling our way through gardening, not to mention the frustration of wasting money and time. In fact, that feeling of bumbling along and that disappointment of having sunk costs without a return on investment is why people hang up their trowel, quit gardening, and head back to the market. Such a shame. Well, today you're in luck. Megan Kane is here to help us with a smart approach to gardening, creating a clear plan for your garden and helping you get more from your garden sooner. Garden planning is a big job, but my gal Megan keeps it real with practical, down-to-earth advice, which is why I love her. And if you're the kind of gardener who wants to get the most from your garden year after year, you can follow in her footsteps. This episode with Megan is perfect for you. The Smart Start Garden Planner with Megan Kane. That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, I always like to start the show out by saying thank you for listening. If you're a returning listener, and especially if you're a brand new listener, I'm so glad you found the show, and I want to welcome you, and thank you for being here. And I always preface this by saying that I hope you listen to many different gardening podcasts. This week, the show that I stumbled on features Mark Highland. He was on the show back in episode 565. But since then, he's written a book, and it's called Practical Organic Gardening. Now, what I loved about this particular podcast, which was basically a replay of Mark's interview on Big Blend Radio, is that it's such a great tee-up to my conversation with Mark. So if you're interested in practical organic gardening, give that episode a listen, and you'll be fully ready for my interview with Mark Highland which will be airing later this quarter. And, of course, I'll put a link to that episode in the Facebook group for the show. So keep your eyes peeled for that. In any case, I love that you're spending some of your listening time here listening to the show, and I'd also like to invite you to join the listener community for the show. It's a free 
private Facebook group for listeners of the show. These folks are made up of all different skill levels and locations, and you can find it on Facebook by typing in the name of our group into the search bar. The group is called the Still Growing Podcast Group. And then if you type that in, the results will show up on Facebook. It's the very first thing that pops up, the Still Growing Podcast Group. Just click on it, request to join. We'd love to meet you in the group. Once you're in the group, you'll get access to all of the articles that I curate for you. I do that a lot during the week. Most of those articles get featured in the Garden News Roundup, and that's nice for you because you don't have to worry about taking any notes. It's all there for you in the listener community on Facebook. The other thing that's great about the group is that the group is the only place I go to pick lucky listeners for any show giveaways. Last week's guest was Lisa Eldred Steinkopf, the houseplant guru, and Brenda Self-Embry from the listener community won a copy of her book. It's brand new, and it's called Houseplants, The Complete Guide to Choosing, Growing, and caring for indoor plants. So congratulations, Brenda. Just private message me with your physical address and your email address, and we'll make sure a copy of that book gets to you. Congratulations, Brenda. You know, another great reason to join the group is that you have access to the guests that have been on the show. So I wanted that when I created the Facebook group. I wanted a space where guests of the show and listeners of the show could continue the conversation, especially if you have questions. The guests are there to connect with you, to be an expert on their subject matter, and help you become a better gardener. So take it advantage of that. Plus, it is completely free and easy to join. All you have to do is go into the search bar of Facebook, type in Still Growing Podcast Group, and request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's welcome new members to our group. Past guest Katya Swift is in there, Patricia Fulham-Bendorf, Donna Addison, Shelley Booz, Diane Wheelock, Sonia Bradley, Beth Rollins, Arlene Springstead, Christy Lynch, and Elizabeth Smith. Welcome, you guys. Don't forget the show has a phone number, so if you want to get in touch with the show, you can call 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. And it's always a thrill for me to hear from you guys with your suggestions, your feedback, comments on the show, or suggestions for future shows. I love all of that. So thanks for getting in touch. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group, and it's made up of a dozen different segments. And what's great about this for you is that you can stay up to date on the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And everything that I mention is posted in the free Facebook group in the listener community. So you don't need to track down links or take notes. Just be in the group, watch those posts roll in, and then you can pick and choose the ones that are interesting to you. 
All right, let's start out with the guest update segment. The very first post is from our guest today, Megan Kane, and it's a post where she shares about her fascinating eating adventures in Thailand. This is something that we talk about right at the beginning of our conversation because Megan just got back from an extended stay in Thailand. And as a vegetable gardener, believe you me, she is a foodie. And she was blown away by the food in Thailand. So I loved this post that she shared. We talk about her sharing it in the episode. And it's definitely in the Facebook group if you're interested in reading that post. It's just so great. It'll make you hungry, though. So watch out. In sustainability this week, there was a really cool post that got shared in the Telegraph, and it was featuring aquascaping. Apparently, aquascaping is in, so grab those fish tanks at the thrift store or garage sale. It's totally low-tech. You don't need heaters. You don't need filters. You do not need pumps. You just need a desk lamp and a fish tank, and you'll be aquascaping in no time. In Continuing Ed, there was a wonderful display of homegrown and heritage seed in this fabulous February sewing guide with spot-on advice, and it was featured in NikkiKyleGardening.com. So the article is called What to Sew Now. So if you're wondering what you can be doing in February, this is a great idea generator for you. And I also love the quote that they shared on Twitter. They said, Big Egg may buy organic seed companies, but they can't stop us from saving our own seed. Also in continuing ed, landscapeleadership.com shared a post about getting started with drone photography and video for landscaping. This post was shared by Chris Heiler. There are a couple of really great photos showing you the value of a drone when it comes to landscaping. So if you're a landscaper or even a home gardener and you're toying with this idea of utilizing a drone in your garden, you'll want to check this post out. In the how-to DIY segment, BloomTube shared a fun video. It's a floral inspiration of how to make a spring arrangement tutorial. So what they did is they filled a bowl with many different types of bulbs. They walk you through all of the materials that they use. They give you a little shopping list for things you'll need. And it's a step-by-step guide. It's just such a nice way to display spring bulbs in in a bowl like this. So I love that idea. Also in the how-to segment this week, Landform blog out of England shared a great post that was called How to Use Sculpture in the Garden. Of course, there's so many different ways that you can use a piece of sculpture in the garden. Not everybody takes advantage of that, but they show how to incorporate them. New ideas, placement, positioning, The use of mirrors, which I absolutely love in a garden. I'm a huge fan of mirrors in a garden. So magical. In the plant spotlight this week, I had to chuckle because hortmag.com featured the paddle plant. It's an easy succulent with a very unique look because the leaves of this succulent look like paddles and they're all clustered together. Now in Minnesota, where humidity is an issue during the wintertime, during this time of year where it's like negative 20, negative 30, it's going to be freezing for the Super Bowl. 
it's tough to grow paddle plant. So if you want to know a secret, my paddle plant is a fake. It's a complete fake, artificial, whatever you want to call it. And I shared a video with the group last week. And under my paddle plant is where we keep the chapstick. So all the kids in the Ebling household know if you need chapstick, go to the paddle plant, pull it up. And right in that container is all of the chapstick. Also in the plant spotlight this week, there was a really helpful post that was shared by GardeningKnowHow.com, and it was teaching about the plant history of valerian. That one was a total delight for me. In the news this week, there was an article about a student who was designing a garden for the Chelsea Flower Show. Of course, if it's a garden that's going to be shown at Chelsea, it's going to be fantastic, That just goes without saying. I loved the use of water in this garden. I saw the mock-up, the drawing of what this garden will look like. But what I was really captivated by was the theme. So this young student named Caitlin said this about it. My design is called the Resilience Garden. And it's all about the ups and downs of life and the hurdles that people are able to overcome. So it's really a garden that's designed to help people get through tough times, get through grieving, get through loss, get through sorrow, that kind of thing. And I really liked this garden, the design. I really am drawn to the theme. And I especially appreciated her use of water in this design. So check that out when you get a chance. In the Dream Guest segment, there is an epic article that was shared in California Sunday, and it was written by Mark Ericks. And apparently he has a book coming out on this topic. The title of this post was called A Kingdom from Dust. It is a long read. It's very in-depth, but it is an amazing look at big agriculture. And it centers on the biggest farmer in the United States. He has shaped what we eat. He's transformed California's landscape. But the one thing he can't control is what he's most dependent on as a farmer. And of course, that's water. This is an article where you really want to clear some time and sit down and read it. And I guarantee you, you will get swept away and your jaw will drop from time to time as you read about this farm. It is absolutely breathtaking. What I really appreciate and you get a sense of when you're reading this article is how long it took the author to put all of this together. This was like years and years of his time to put this together, to do the research, to talk to all of the people involved. It's a unique piece. It will definitely leave an indelible mark in your brain. You will not think of pomegranates or pistachios in the same way. Again, I promise you. And I am so looking forward to the book coming out. And that's why Mark Eriks, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, made the Dream Guest segment this week. In science, there was a lovely young woman named Hannah Wilson who shared how she was able to travel to China to discuss begonia biodiversity, of all things, thanks to a grant from the Royal Society of Biology. I loved this article, and I loved hearing about her trip, and I had no idea that there were even experts in the world that were focused on begonia much less it looks like a group of about 40 to 50 of them, and they all gathered for this picture. 
It was pretty incredible. So I love that she shared that the Royal Society of Biology has these grants, and it was just fun to hear about her trip and her project. Of course, she did a study, a research project on begonias, and it was just kind of fun to geek out with her and and see this experience through her eyes as a young PhD student. Also in science, the National Trust shared a post that was called, What Do Bats Get Up To During the Winter? And I'll give you a clue. There's something that said in big, bold letters right in the middle of the blog post, a sleep all winter, fat chance. So it doesn't sound like they're hibernating all winter long. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I'll let you check that out if you're curious about what bats are doing during the winter. Finally in science, the Washington Post Adrian Higgins shared an article that was called Shifting Toward a Greater Understanding of Bugs, the Good and the Bad. Long story short, we need them more than they need us. And this article was such a great reminder of that. In shopping this week, there are a couple of things I wanted to share with you. The first is my mom and dad love to go to book sales at libraries, and they're always looking for gardening books for me, which is wonderful. But I'm telling you, the amount of gardening books that I have is really starting to get alarming. Uh, That said, they found this very beautiful book for me, and it's called The Winter Garden. It's a book that's been out for quite a while. It's by Richard Rosenfeld, and I just love the pictures, this winter garden book. It's just beautiful, and guess what? You can get it on Amazon. There are used copies for a little over two bucks, so if you're interested in it, I'll put a link to that in the Facebook group. You can click on it and get one for yourself, but it's called A Seasonal Guide to Making the Most of Your Garden, and I'm telling you, the pictures are just amazing, totally inspiring, make you want to get out in your winter garden. Maybe not here, though, when it's negative 30, negative 20, whatever it's going to be this weekend. It is insanely cold in Minnesota right now, and I think people coming into town for the Super Bowl are shocked because... There's cold, and then there's Minnesota cold, and it's definitely Minnesota cold this week. The other thing that I wanted to share in shopping is something that one of our listeners and our listener community shared, and it's from Beth Engel. I love Beth. I'm a huge thrift shopper, and if you are too, you're going to love this tip from Beth. She wrote, I loved the podcast you had a while back about what gardening items you look for at resale shops. I'll share one with you. I'm only doing so because you're so far away and you won't be any competition for me. I'm sure no one else will look at this post. Whoops, I didn't tell her that I was going to mention it on the show and try to beat me to these items. So if you live by Beth, just let her have these things, okay? Uh, Pictured, she's showing two of her many orchids. She writes, these in cool colanders that I found at my local Goodwill store. One on the left, plant planted a couple of years ago, one on the right just recently planted. Since orchids, most, not all, like a lot of air around their roots, I think the colanders are perfect. I look only for ceramic or like this small copper one, score, I'm telling you this copper one is everybody was dying for, not plastic. She said that's personal preference, nothing wrong with plastic, 
They just tend to be too big. So you have to imagine a colander and then with uh, the orchid in the colander. And what made that copper one so special is that it's a footed colander. That truly was a score. So congratulations on that, Beth. When I saw Beth's post, I wrote to her, I said, Beth, I can't even handle this marvelous idea. The footed copper colander has me drooling, and I actually keep a list of things to look for when I'm out thrifting, and now this is on my list. Such a score. Now, this post not only gave people an idea of maybe something to shop for when they're out looking for some bargains, or some items that they can use to repurpose for planters. But it also triggered a lot of different questions. Cindy Baldwin said, Do you move them to the sink to water them? Finding pretty trays is something else that I look for in resale shops. Beth said, Yes, I put my orchids under the tap to water, then I let them drain. Same as with my mounted orchids. These both are planted in a chunky bark mix. Robert Baxter said, this is perfect for some orchids. I grow most of mine on tree bark, but this is a much better idea. I'm going to start looking at my Goodwill stores for some. Don't worry, I'm no, (laughs) he said, don't worry, I'm no competition. I'm in New Orleans. So let's all run out and start thrifting and looking for these. But not if you live by Beth. Steer clear of Beth's resale shops. In inspiration this week, there were three different posts that caught my attention. The first was one that was called Signs of Spring. And this was a blog post out of Sussex. So you have to imagine the weather there. It's a lot nicer than it is here. And they're already seeing plants shooting up out of the ground. It was just such a great post to take in. Kind of a foretaste of what's coming A lot of us have a long ways to go yet, but this post was really fun to see. I should mention where this post came from. It was by PenelopeHellyerAuthor.com. Also, an inspiration is this YouTube video that was by Patty Hankins. She's a photographer. She takes pictures of flowers. Her website's called beautifulflowerpictures.com. And these are her photos that were exhibited at Artists and Makers Studio 2 in Rockville, Maryland. And she put these pictures together in a very inspiring video. It's not very long, but it's absolutely gorgeous. If you need a little pick-me-up, check out that video by photographer Patty Hankins of BeautifulFlowerPictures.com. And then finally, in inspiration, LauraAshley.com is so great. Every month they feature a blogger that they like, and their blogger crush for the month of January was this very fun website I'd never heard of, and it's called Three Sons Later. And Sons is S-O-N-S because she's got three boys. But it's threesonslater.com. She writes about a lot of different things. She's got chickens, by the way, and she also is a gardener. And her pictures are quite the deal. Very, very beautiful. So check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. Threesonslater.com. All right. In the quotable segment this week, I found some quotes that pertain to knowledge, which I thought fit the topic of today's show very well. Here we go. The first is a Chinese proverb. All gardeners know better than other gardeners. 
This next one is by Aurelia Scott, author of A Gardener's Progress in Garden Design Magazine from July-August 1993. A gardener's progress is best measured by the ability to learn what the plants already know. Love that one. Here's one from Texas Bix Bender from Don't Throw in the Trowel, 1996. Don't let beginner's luck give you delusions of knowledge. Here's one from Henry Roberts, The Book of Old-Fashioned Flowers, 1901. Study books, study gardens, and study wild nature, and use your own brains. Finally, this one from John Kehoe, I think, is perfect to end with. He's the greenhouse supervisor at Elizabeth Park Rose Garden, and he's quoted in Garden Smarts. The more gardening you do, the better you get at it. You learn the tricks over a period of time. You have to have faith in yourself. Even if you go to the books, common sense is the answer 90% of the time. You have to be persistent, have a little self-confidence, and keep plugging at it. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, the Smart Start Garden Planner with Megan Kane. Megan sent me a copy of her Smart Start Garden Planner last summer, and I immediately recognized the signature aspects of Megan's work. Clean design, simple layout, practical advice. In other words, the kind of resource that appeals to gardeners. Megan is known as the creative vegetable gardener. She and her husband, Mark, live on a corner lot in suburban Wisconsin. Their garden is on the side of their property and in the back for all of their neighbors to see. And it's been a real focal point, a place of gathering and connection, which is another wonderful part of Megan's story. And just in case you're feeling like a latecomer to the world of gardening, Megan never touched a vegetable plant until the summer she turned 26. Today, she teaches people about how to successfully grow their own food and get the most from their vegetable gardens. Now, there are a few things that I wanted to draw your attention to beforehand that Megan and I chat about in this episode. First, the big picture. When it comes to your garden, the big picture is a constellation of answers to many questions, and those answers are unique to you. You're going to hear Megan talk about a number of different considerations that you should take into account, and I have to say that many of them seem pretty obvious, but then some of them may be real light bulbs for you in terms of how you think about your 2018 garden. Second, 
seed smarts. Megan shares a little primer on seed. It's always so great when we get an expert on that can just walk us through this in layman's terms. And I really appreciate Megan doing that for us. And then she also talks about the key things that we should be looking at, that we should be honing in on when it comes to reading seed packets. So that was fantastic. This is just such a great overview. And I would say for new gardeners especially. So if you're new, pay attention to that part of the show. Finally, third, variety. I really enjoyed Megan's insights and encouragement when it comes to selecting new, cool, or productive varieties of vegetables. And she makes such a great point here. So I hope you pay close attention to this part. And Megan, by the way, also shares her 10 unique colorful vegetables that made her top 10 list. And then she also talked about her top six picks for annuals to make your veggie plot look incredibly good. One fun aside here that I wanted to throw in just on a personal note that I thought would kind of help frame today's show for you. When the kids were little and they got in trouble, my husband Phil would ask them, was that smart or not smart? And I don't know if they ever realized that if their dad was asking that question, that the answer was always not smart. But to this day, they still say smart or not smart to each other when something's not on point. So what I wanted you to do is imagine if there was an accountability moment like that for us in our gardens. We fail to read the seed packet and we miss the fact that there's 150 days to maturity and that's why nothing's happening. Is that smart or not smart? We don't realize that the small plant we held in our hands in the spring was going to take up six to eight feet of space in the garden by midsummer. Is that smart or not smart? In contrast, we waste valuable space by planting too far apart. We're afraid that the plants will get too big. They don't. And the space goes unused. Is that smart or not smart? You know, there's a point in the interview today where Megan says, experienced gardeners think about their gardens in these terms, but sometimes unconsciously. I really liked that because with experience, gardeners devise strategies and they make choices that novices just don't make. Yet that experience can be really hard won. In real life, gardening is a solitary endeavor. We all have some of the same constraints to deal with, our time, space, energy. There's never enough of those three things. Revelations about our success or failure may come to us, or we may miss them entirely. And that's where a thoughtful guide like Megan's comes in very handy. As Megan says in her guide, the most successful gardeners take some time before the garden season begins to devise a simple and smart plan for the year. A smart garden plan lays the groundwork for a beautiful garden that yields lots of food for the least amount of time and money invested. Simple garden planning will set you up for a season where you'll get more of what you really want from your garden 
food, beauty, and joy, and hopefully a little less of what you don't want, stress and failure. Without further ado, your garden IQ is about to elevate. It's time to get smart with the creative vegetable gardener, a woman whose favorite vegetable is clearly kale, Madison's own Megan Kane, and the Smart Start Garden Planner. Well, Megan Kane, the creative vegetable gardener, welcome back to the Still Growing Podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm happy to be here again. Well, and for people listening, they have no idea the circuitous route we have been on to get to this point, to have our interview. I spoke with you before Christmas. I think it was right after Thanksgiving, actually. And it's never happened to me before, but right as we were having our post-interview chat, I looked at my computer and it had gone into a complete freeze. I could I clicked all over, nothing was happening. And we unfortunately lost that interview. So we rescheduled. We're talking today. And in between time, you had the chance to go to Thailand. <laughs> yep. Okay. How was Thailand? Oh, it was so awesome. <laughs> I bet. I bet it feels like a million years ago. I know. My husband and I have made it a point. It's one of the main um, things that we hope for every year is to take about five weeks off in the winter. Um, Both of us are self-employed and have our own businesses. So we're able to work that into our yearly schedule. So this year we went to Thailand um, and it was the first time that we've actually ever been to Southeast Asia. And we were saying when we came home, we were we're sorry that we waited that long (laughs) to go to Southeast Asia because we loved Thailand. Oh my gosh, we're still talking about it and thinking about it. And my husband woke up the other morning and I was on YouTube and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching videos about Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We live right near the botanical gardens in Madison and they have a Thai garden, which of course... It's not much today, you know, right yeah. this time of year. But he, my husband yesterday is like, I took a walk to the Thai garden because I was missing Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, my gosh. Yeah, it was amazing. We loved it. The food is is just incredible. It was every meal we had was so <laughs> delicious. And there's so many different types of food. And a few people before we left said, oh, what are you looking forward to the most about your trip? And I said the food because I had heard the food in Thailand is just amazing. And as a gardener and somebody who grows their own food, I'm I'm really into food, like probably many of your listeners. And so I was really excited about the food. And I have to say that it surpassed my expectations. It was phenomenal. It is delicious. Um, There's so many different types of dishes. So a lot of people probably have been to a Thai restaurant and you already know that there's pad Thai and there's curries and there's different rice and noodle dishes. But the reality in Thailand is that there's so much more than that. And there's different regions of the country that have different different dishes that they're known for and different ingredients that they use. And so we ate a lot. We ate (laughs) basically our our vacation revolved around eating. And we were always talking about like, Oh, where are we going to go eat? As soon as we were done lunch, we would say like, Oh, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? (laughs) I mean, we ate so many different kinds of dishes and we just scratched the surface and it's really fun because I love food and, and I'm passionate about food and, the, the Thai culture, people are really into food. So, and I had read, I did a little bit of 
uh, research when I was there about different types of dishes. And I found a guy who lives in uh, Bangkok who who does a lot of videos on the different types of food in Thailand. Also has an ebook, so I got that. And then just kind of read a lot online about restaurant recommendations. And I would say we didn't even really go to restaurants like you would think about in the U.S. Wow. It's just fun to be in a in in a country where food is such a huge part of everybody's lives and a lot yeah. of Thais eat out uh, and there's food everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to a, a second or third world country, but no. often, I mean, there's way more food in most, in many countries than ours, but in Thailand, there's like tons of street food and that's what they're known for. And so there's people out everywhere selling food, oh, little geez. stands set up on the corner, people walking around with carts and sell coconut ice cream or, or tropical fruit or a certain dish. And then there's people that set up in, on a corner or they set up in an alley. Um, pe- like you just stumble down an alley or a little side street. And then all of a sudden there's like this really popular food vendor that's selling only one dish and there's like 30 Thai people sitting there waiting in line and sometimes they have a table with some chairs that you can sit at and often they'll they'll serve you on like a on dishes usually like a plastic plate and actual utensils you know stainless steel utensils that they're gonna wash later um, sometimes you just take away food there's tons and tons of markets outdoor markets kind of like farmers markets but they have a lot of prepared food and food stands and food stalls and so it's just there is food everywhere uh, everywhere you go you go to the park you go to the bus station, you go to, oh it's a it's a Buddhist country and they have lots and lots of Buddhist temples. So even you go to the Buddhist temple and they have people selling food outside of the temple. So food is a huge, huge part of the culture and Thais are really passionate about food. So it was a really, in that way, it was a really fun place to visit because I love food and I'm passionate about food. So so I felt like, oh, these are my people. I should have been born a Thai person. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally different experience. Yeah, totally different. I mean, you come back here and you're like, it's so boring here. You like go out, <laughs> you, you go out your door and there's not like people selling food right there. <laughs> oh, gosh. We, my husband and I took a walk the other day and we were we have a, a park across the street. And I said, if we were in Thailand, there would be people selling food probably in this park right across the street. <laughs> we could just pop out and grab a little plate for lunch of, you know, pad thai or green curry or something like that. So, so yeah, we, we really loved it. And we're already scheming about when and how we can get back there to continue eating as many dishes as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Megan, I would say you're not only a great role model and leader mentor for so many folks who want to grow vegetables and try to grow their own food, but you're such a wonderful inspiration for folks who say, oh, I never vacation or I can't remember the last time I vacationed because here you and your husband make it a priority and you take this time off together. I think it's just fantastic. So good job. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. And Uh, I have actually Actually, for people who, the gardeners who listen to your podcast who are also travelers, I do have kind of a a section of travel blog posts at my website um, at creativevegetablegardener.com. So, and I had, I've recently posted a lot of them on Facebook while I was away. But if you like to read about some travels and you want to hear about some of the other places I've been, 
um, folks can check out my blog. And hopefully I'm going to do a blog post about the food in Thailand sometime in the next couple of weeks. If you can manage not to drool your way through it, right? I know, I know. <laughs> like, I know, I'll probably cry. Like, <laughs> yeah, you probably will. Well, we can provide links to those posts as well. And if, you, if you're doing that and you want to share it in the Still Growing Podcast group, go ahead. That'd be great. Okay. I'm sure people would love to see them. Thank you. So today we're talking about this fantastic garden plan that I think you wrapped up about this time last year. I remember getting it in the mail from you and thought, oh my goodness, this is such a great resource. And one of the things that you do so well is you keep everything very simple. You make it simple and very approachable for folks who want to grow vegetables. And then you came up with this wonderful resource, the Smart Start Garden Planner. And it's a step-by-step guide to a successful season in the garden. And I wanted to start out, you, you begin the book with this wonderful introduction and you define two things for us or you help us understand kind of the goal behind this planner for you. First, you start out with what is a smart garden? And then you talk about how do we transform into smart gardeners? But let's start off with what you think of when you think of having a smart garden. Well, one thing I've learned over the years, I've met thousands of, at this point, thousands of gardeners um, throughout the country, really. Uh, and I, one thing I learned is that the people who are the most successful gardeners are people that give a little bit of thought to their garden before the season starts. So they don't wait until the first nice day in spring and then rush out to the nursery or the garden store and then just start buying stuff and planting it in their garden. They have a plan. Um, but like you said, I am all for simplicity in the garden. I'm a minimalist in pretty much everything in my life. And so I am always looking for the easiest way, the most simple way to do something. And I always try that first. And if that doesn't work, then I go for the next <laughs> simplest way. So garden planning doesn't have to, it can be really whatever you want it to be. And if you're somebody that likes to figure out everything about your garden and where you're going to plant everything and you like to make spreadsheets or maps or just doing all kinds of of really detailed planning, go for it. But if you're not somebody that likes to do those things, you don't worry. You can still do some garden planning and give some thought to your garden in a really some taking some simple steps and keeping it pretty simple and easy. So, so really a, a smart garden and a smart gardener is a smart gardener has a plan for for the season. And like I said, it can be a really detailed plan or it can just be a really simple plan. Um, but you need to give some thought to your garden before the season begins if you want to have a successful season. And I think, I think, like I said, most of the successful gardeners out there do that at least a little bit. You know, we remarked in our pre-chat for today that when we had talked before, it was in the, during the holidays. And there's a section in your book, you start out, of course, helping people design their smart garden. So we're starting this planning process, your easiness into it. And part of that has to do with reflection. Now, when we spoke during the holidays, this was something that we spent a fair amount of time on talking about reflection. And then you follow that up with 
visioning, envisioning your garden for 2018? <laughs> sure. You know, it's okay. funny because before Christmas, of course, we would have focused more on reflection. And now <laughs> here we are in January and how just even one month's difference Mm, and we're thinking more true. vision. We're thinking more vision. Yeah. Right. But let's just spend a little time on reflection before we talk about visioning, which is probably the most exciting part for people right now because they're already getting anxious to get back in their gardens. But you have some, I thought, just really stupendous questions that people can ask themselves to kind of get this planning process underway. I'll ask you these questions, and then why don't you respond with how your garden did last year? So the first one is, describe last year's garden in a few words. Uh, I would say food for 11 months out of the year. So I harvested, I live in Wisconsin, which we didn't talk about, but I harvested food from my garden for 11 months out of the 12. So that was that's that's it in a few words. <laughs> and everybody is applauding right now. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, what were my successes last year? So I would say more food for more months of the year. So that's something that I've been working on for a few years, trying to figure out, can I have food for outside of the regular growing season as much as possible? Um, and so I think that was probably my biggest success. I had a really good spring garden my summer garden was eh, but my spring and my fall gardens were really great. So I would say those are my highlights. Okay. What did I struggle with? Overall, I actually had a pretty, oh, actually, now I remember. <laughs> I blocked this out. Uh, I had to rip out all of my peppers. I had about 35 pepper plants um, planted and I got some kind of bacterial wilt on them and I had to pull them all out. They're one of my <laughs> most favorite things to grow in my garden. And I had started all these new varieties oh. and I had great plans. And then they just, yeah, they just got infected and I just decided to pull them all out. So that was, that was really sad. <laughs> okay. Listen, now is the perfect time to ask you what you did to remedy that situation, because I know how much you use peppers. And for people listening, you were on back in episode 557, and we talked all about preserving the garden harvest, because you're also a goddess when it comes to preserving all of this time that we're spending in the garden in, in the form of the garden harvest. So what does Megan Kane do when you have a crop failure like that? Well, cry. No, I didn't cry, but <laughs> I, I made my husband come out and help me rip them all out because I didn't want to do it alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, well, I tried to figure out, okay, what went wrong? And I, I, I looked up to try to figure out what was going on. And that's why I think I got some kind of bacterial wilt. And so then I read about what causes it. It seems like it comes in, it can potentially come in on the seed. Uh, and so then I read about, okay, what are the solutions? And one of the solutions is to, to put all the seeds. So this is for this year, really, before I, I start my own peppers and you can put the seeds in boiling water to kill any remaining bacteria. It does lessen, potentially lessen the germination of the seeds, but I think I'll probably do that this year. I had a lot of hot pepper seeds from a friend of my husband's. 
who saves his own seed. And I'm not blaming him. I don't know where the bacteria came from, but, <laughs> but I'm wondering if it's from some of the seeds that I, I got from him. He gave me a lot of really great varieties of hot peppers, which I would like to grow. So I think I'll, I'll treat all my seeds with some boiling water this year. Um, and then I also washed all the, all my trays and all my seed start seed starting cells and everything in a, a, a hot water solution that had some bleach in it and then left them out in the sun to dry. So I tried to de- disinfect all the equipment that touched that the peppers or the soil was touching um, in preparation for starting seeds again this year. So, so yeah, I'll definitely be paranoid this seed starting season about my peppers. About your peppers. And then <laughs> yeah. when you, when you, when you experience something like that, and I know just how much you cook at home and how much you do love to just go down to the basement or wherever you've got your harvest, you know, kind of squirreled away. What do you do in this instance? Did you just replace your peppers with, with farmer's market peppers or what'd you do? Yeah, I mean, it was too late to replace the plants. It, I just wouldn't have had enough time to get peppers. So I still had a few. It was interesting because I it was only one location in my garden. So I had two beds full of peppers, which were the majority of my peppers. And then I had another bed on the, on the, the side of my house that had maybe nine plants. And those were fine. So I'm not exactly sure why they were fine because they grew, they were growing with the other ones until I transplanted them out. So I had a few pepper plants, um, and we and we just cherished those peppers and ate a lot of them fresh. And we sold, we uh, froze a few. But yeah, I just I, sometimes I just go to the farmers market. If I have a failure in my garden, then I just look to the lovely farmers in my area who haven't. <laughs> didn't have a failure and then I'll just buy buy some from them. But overall, we just have less peppers this year. Um, I usually freeze a lot. I, I ferment some um, and I just did less of all of it this year. So it was, yeah, it was sad. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. What do I wish I had done differently or better last year? Well, that's kind of related to the one, bef- the pepper debacle before I don't think I really took care of my seedlings very well so I started a lot of seeds at home and sometimes I get kind of lazy with them and so my husband later realized you put the when I put my seedlings outside to harden them off they were under the gutter in the back of our house and our gutter was it was clogged and overflowing and so every time it rained it would it would just dump water on the seedlings Mm. and and seedlings do not like to be that wet um, and so, so that's possibly what could have aggravated the, the bacterial infection. Um, so uh, this year I'm going to take care of my seedlings better. I kind of get tired of taking care of them <laughs> when it, especially peppers, cause you have to wait so long to put them in the ground. And so, you know, they got kind of overgrown and they, they weren't super healthy when I put them in. So maybe if I had taken better care of them, they would have been able to withstand, the the infection. So this year, I'm being more loving towards my seedlings that I start at home. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, now here's a great question: What do I want to learn more about this coming year? What is Megan Kane trying to read up on this year? Well, I did just 
sign up for this is related to gardening because I take a lot of photos in my garden and I did sign up for a photography two photography classes at my local community college um so that's not about growing food but it's about uh for me photography in the garden is a huge way that I appreciate my garden and and get to be in it and um just paying attention to all the little things that are going on uh, and so that's one thing I want to learn more about is photographing my garden. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still kind of learning about season extension, um, using cold frames and low tunnels to to extend the harvest. And that's something that this will probably be the third or fourth season that I'm doing season extension. And it's still kind of a work in progress. I'm still trying to perfect my methods so that because I teach other people of course once I figure something out so um so yeah I think I'll continue to experiment and try new varieties for season extension as well the last question is I wish I had more of this in my garden Mm. room <laughs> i wish i had more space <laughs> my, i i have a pretty big garden but it's still only about 1600 square feet cuz i live in in madison in the city so i don't have a country lot i have more uh i live in a na- i live in a neighborhood with with pretty big lots so i have a pretty big yard so it's almost like a suburban suburban neighborhood although it is in the city just four miles four miles from downtown so but I always am trying to eke out a little bit more space um and my husband always laughs at me because I say I wish I had a little bit more space so I could grow a few more things so I think probably like many of your listeners probably have learned that when you start gardening and you fall in love with it it kind of gets addicting and then you just keep wanting more and more space Mm -hmm. So we've gotten rid of a lot of the grass in our yard. And really what I'm limited by is sun. I have a big yard, but a lot of it is shade. So I've filled up almost all the sunny spaces with vegetable gardens. That's a good segue into this next section of your book, which is really helping people envision what they want to do during their gardening months in 2018. And you say you offer up all of these different suggestions for folks who are trying to come up with a vision for their garden. Do you want to walk us through um, some of these? I, I love you start out, you you actually say photography, and you talk about learning more about certain plants, but maybe highlight a few of the other ones that oftentimes people can forget about, or they're just not top of mind, maybe until the end of the season, when they maybe have some regrets or some aha moments. Yeah, this section is really all about, and I pose this question, what kind of lifestyle do you want gardening to create for you this year? And so one thing that I've learned over years of gardening is that my garden is more than just a place to grow food. Certainly the food that I get out of my garden is a lot of the pleasure, but it also goes goes deeper than that. There's more more depth and more breadth, really. And, and so I say in the book, let gardening be the theme that is woven through everything and allow it to bring more meaning to your life this year. And so what are the ways that you can allow your garden to bring more meaning and joy to your life? Um, certainly the food we grow, but like I mentioned before, for me taking photographs of my garden, I use a lot of the photographs in my books and my blog. 
and it's something that's new. I've only been doing it the last few years, and I realized it's such a joyful part of the gardening experience for me for lots of different reasons, but it allows me to to be really it's just all about appreciating the visual part of my garden. I don't have to think about the weeds and the chores and the to-do list. I just get to appreciate the beauty and capture that in photographs. Uh, and so, and then there's some other choices. So, so in the book, there's a little worksheet and then I just encourage you to circle all the things that you'd like more of in your life. And then there's some, some areas where you can add some other things, but so photography would be one more physical activity. I think a lot of people connect with physical activity and using their bodies when they're in their garden, um, getting better at cooking, appreciating the cycles of nature, getting to be outside more, uh, relaxation is something that I hear from a lot of people that they get out of their garden. Um, if you have kids or a family member that you like to garden with, sometimes it allows you to get, have more time with a family member or a friend, um, a lot of people, once they start growing food, it helps them improve their diets and help them eat better and focus on their health. Uh, lots of gardeners I know cook at home and invite people over and entertain, especially during the growing season, especially people that have gardens right up near their house and patios and barbecues. So maybe you want to entertain more at home. And and another one I know for me, and this is actually one of my goals for this year, is to work on creative and artistic projects in my garden. So maybe building trellises or I'm also a mosaic artist, so I like to make mosaics for my garden. Um, so I actually have a list of some things that I'd like to make for my garden this year. And when I was on vacation, I one of the things that I was thinking about is I really need to make more time in my life to just work on creative projects. Uh, and and working on them for my garden makes me even more excited. So so just a way to I think the garden really can bleed into your entire life and really help you experience deeper joy I think in a lot of a lot of parts of your life that goes beyond just planting a seed and growing a plant and harvesting a vegetable there's so much more to the gardening experience than just that and it does weave into all the different parts of your life if you let it I guess my next question has to do with seed catalogs you say the next step is for people to really try to hone in on what do I want to grow. And we talked a lot about that the last time you were on the show, really trying to get people to focus on the things that they will actually eat. That's where you should be spending your time in the garden is planting those items. But then it's time to order seeds. And people right now are looking at seed catalogs. If they haven't placed their orders, they're very close to placing their orders. Some people are already done. Walk us through some ideas around getting seed catalogs, maybe some of your favorites, but then also you have this great section in your book about how to read a seed catalog. Yeah. So if you don't already, if you're listening to this show and you don't already get seed catalogs in the mail, that's the first step because you're really missing out. It's so fun in the winter, especially where I live, where it's often snowy and cold to open up my mailbox and have these 
shiny, happy seed catalogs popping out of my mailbox. It was just, there's nothing quite like it to, to offer hope for the upcoming spring. So if you don't get seed catalogs in the mail, uh, I highly recommend it. And I, I actually went through my mail when I got home from vacation and I have a lot of seed catalogs because they seem to multiply. Um, but I usually recommend for people to get maybe start with three because it's very easy to get overwhelmed. Once you start looking through all the seed catalogs, it's hard to then start to decide what you want to order. So my probably my top three would be Johnny's Selected Seeds. Uh, so these are for U.S. gardeners. If you're in a different country, then you probably have some some local seed companies you can order from. So Johnny Selected Seeds is used by a lot of professional CSA farmers. So certainly I like to be ordering my seeds where professional farmers are ordering their seeds from because I know there's good varieties. Uh, and then Seed Savers Exchange is a nonprofit in Iowa and they sell only heirloom varieties. Um, and I've been there and it's a really great organization. They have a beautiful plot of land and they're really passionate about saving a lot of the heirloom varieties. So they have some really fun stories behind the seeds that they have. And then I also like high mowing seeds. All the seeds that they sell are organic. Um, and so if you're somebody that feels passionate about um, buying organic seeds, then that's a good seed company for you. So those are probably my top three. That's where I order the majority of my seeds from. Now, do you want to share with us some of your tips on how to read a seed catalog? There are some areas that I think almost anyone can understand. You know, when they're looking at at um, a seed catalog, they're going to recognize the description. They're going to recognize the name of the plant. But there are these other indicators or these other fields that come into play that people need to be able to interpret and maybe just walk us through some of those and then how you like to think about those or how you pay attention to those. Sure. Yeah. So this is from, there is a, I have a page in my book that ha, is how to read a seed catalog and I have a, a, a sample description. So if you've never ordered from seed catalogs or read seed catalogs, there's lot, they contain a lot of information for each variety. So, um, one thing that you want to pay attention to, and so I used a an example, I think it was from the, it was modeled off the Johnny's catalog, and it's for Sun Gold Tomato. And Sun Gold is a hybrid, um, which means that it's a cross between two varieties. Um, and there's, so I think that's one thing that can be confusing for gardeners you don't always know what's a hybrid. What does that mean? What about heirloom seeds? What about GMO seeds? Um, and so there's a couple different different terms that you want to understand so that you're educated about what types of seeds that you're growing. So of course, there's organic seeds, which is very much like in the U.S. organic food, which has to be certified by the USDA. So the way that they grow the seeds the way that they grow the plants to produce the seeds has to be certified organic by the USDA. Um, and so there's lots of companies that sell organic seeds and there's lots of companies that, that sell non-organic seeds. And even for example, in the Johnny's catalog, they sell organic and non-organic sometimes for the same variety. So sometimes you'll see a certain variety is available as non-organic or organic. And usually organic is a little bit 
more expensive. So, so it's really a personal choice about just like it is for, for food that you eat from the grocery store or the farmer's market. If you feel strongly about supporting organic practices and organic farmers, then you could choose to buy organic seed. Um, some varieties aren't available organically. So I have, I have seeds that aren't organic because there's particular varieties that I want to grow that I can't find organic seed for. Um, and then there's hybrid seeds. So those are just, it's just a natural process of crossing two different parent plants. Um, and some of our favorite, my favorite varieties are um, are hybrids like the sun gold tomato. If you grow that tomato, that's a hybrid. So some catalogs like the Johnny's catalog will put next to the variety name, they'll put in parentheses, it'll say F1, which means that's an, a hybrid. Not every catalog does that. Sometimes they'll say it in the description. Um, so the, the really the thing, if, if, and if you're a seed saver, you already know this, but the biggest thing with hybrids is that you can't, so you can't save the seed for the next year because it won't remain true to type since it's a cross between two different plants. You're not going to get something, you're not going to get necessarily a sun gold tomato if you save the seeds. So if you want to, if you want to experiment with saving seeds, then you, you wouldn't want to grow hybrids. But other than that, you know, hybrids can are great for disease resistance and, Farmers like them because they produce uniform fruits, and there's lots of different reasons that people like uh, like hybrids. And then there's heirloom seeds. So I, we talked about Seed Savers Exchange. They sell only heirloom seeds. Um, so there's and there's not really an exact definition of what an heirloom seed is, but Seed Savers and some other places say it's a it's a seed that's been handed down for 40 to 50 plus years um, and then uh, they're usually a little bit harder to find so if you'll notice if you get the seed sa- savers catalog they're not really commercial varieties because they're often varieties that um, aren't really good for farmers to grow for various reasons because they're harder that you know lack of uniformity or they don't have a good shelf life or whatever so they're they're usually unique varieties so and as a home gardener it's much easier for us to, to grow heirloom seeds than it is for a farmer. Uh, the last one is open pollinated seeds, which you may also see, especially in the, in the high mowing catalog. A lot of times they'll talk about open pollinated. So those are seeds that, um, so hybrid, they're pollinating and they're crossing plants in a controlled environment. Open pollinated, they're just out in the field and pollination is occurring through natural means like insects or wind or I mean even humans are natural maybe they're they're (laughs) helping pollinate things in different ways Um, and so those are usually more genetically diverse plants so because there's more natural factors involved um, and and this can lead to more variation in the plant populations um, which is good and maybe not so good if you're you're a farmer and you like un- uniformity. Um, but that so if you see open pollinated, you know that it's not a hybrid. A lot of times, people who save seed look for open pollinated varieties because if you save the seed, 
they're going to be more likely to be true to type. Sometimes with seed saving, you need to isolate things and we won't talk about that here, but it can be a little bit more complicated, but you've probably grown some, some open pollinated varieties like California wonder peppers, Yep. Uh, open pollinated and brandywine tomato. So, and then I think lastly, people are worried about GMO seeds, but as a home gardener, it's not really something that you have to worry about really on the home gardener scale. Most of the GMO seeds are really for the agricultural market, large farms. Um, but if you are concerned about that, you can find a list of the companies that there's something called the safe seed pledge where companies sign the pledge to say that they don't carry any GMO seeds. Um, and you can just Google it if you wanted. It's a safe seed pledge. And then you can double check and make sure that the companies that you want to order from don't carry any GMO seed, but it's not really something that you have to worry about on a home gardener scale. So, so in my garden, I grow kind of a mix of everything. I have heirlooms, I have open pollinated varieties, I have hybrid varieties, and then I try to buy organics whenever possible because I want to support that market and I want there to be more availability of organic seeds. I'm not a stickler about heirloom versus open pollinated versus hybrid. I try lots of varieties and I want them to perform well in my garden and to taste good. So those are the criteria that I usually use. Mm -hmm. I always think about some of these things that are on seed packets as philosophical or values-based gardening, you know, trying to get to the root of that. Where do you stand? Are you passionate about some of these aspects? And then you have the real tactical things that you need to know when you plant this, such as days to maturity. That's something that I think new gardeners often overlook, but it's just as important as deciding whether or not you're going to be an organic gardener. Right, right, right. And I will stress that variety does matter. What varieties you grow matter very, very much in your garden. And I don't know that I fully understood this until I worked at a, at a CSA farm where they put a lot of time and energy in trialing varieties and selecting the varieties that would perform the best. You know, before that, I thought, well, what does it matter what broccoli variety you grow? They all look the same. Every broccoli plant basically looks the same. You know, tomato varieties, yeah, we can see the difference. But there's a lot of plants, it's like, well, they kind of look the same. But it wasn't until I really started to pay attention to different varieties in my garden that I realized, yes, it very much does matter. And I have more success with some varieties versus other varieties. Um, and so if you're, if you're someone who in the past has had mixed success in your garden and you, but you, and you don't pay attention to what kind of varieties that you plant, I would recommend that you start to pay more attention, keep some simple records, maybe talk to gardeners and farmers in your area to see what varieties people are growing and having success with. Um, because certainly it's regional sometimes what varieties do better in different areas. And I have for sure ejected varieties from my garden over time because they just didn't perform well. Um, and so if you're having, if you're not having luck with a certain vegetable, try a different variety, try a few different varieties and see if you have better success this year. Mm, that's great advice. 
You know, there's a great story that you share in this next section of your book that's called Veggie Essentials. And it's a story that where you're talking about a call that you got from your sister. And she had a question for you. And I thought it would be fun to have you read this little section to us and then talk about it. <laughs> sure. Uh, a few years ago, my sister called me from Philadelphia where she was learning to garden and asked me, when you plant one onion, how many onions do you get? Wow. This one question completely reframed things for me. I had never quite thought about each vegetable in this way. And when I told her that she would get one onion from planting one onion, she said, oh, then I'm not going to plant them. It's not going to be worth it. So when you start to examine the garden in this light, there are clearly things that are more worth it to grow than others. When you plant a vegetable like tomatoes, you obviously get a lot of bang for your buck. You plant one seedling, wait three months, and then get to harvest pounds and pounds of tomatoes just from that one plant. And that's a pretty good investment for a $3 seedling. Yeah. <laughs> so on the other hand, when you plant a cabbage seedling, you wait about 70 days and then harvest one cabbage. That's it. No more. It's over. If you want to get anything more out of that space, you'll have to rip out the remaining cabbage carcass and plant something else. Which one sounds like a better investment to you? Well, it might depend on how much you love cabbage and hate tomatoes. So I loved when my sister called and asked me that because I think when you're an experienced gardener, you think about your garden in these terms, but not, but you don't realize it. And so in my garden, I'm, I'm constantly evaluating, is this variety, is this vegetable, is it worth it to grow? Do I, you know, I don't have enough room to grow everything I'd like to grow. So I'm always making strategic decisions. Um, so, and, and it's a subjective question. So my sister decided that she didn't want to plant onions because it's not worth it. Myself, on the other hand, I usually grow somewhere between three and 500 onions because I love growing onions. They're one of my favorite vegetables to grow in my garden and they store all winter. And so we get to use them for, for a long time every year. Uh, but the answer is always different for everybody. And that's what, that's what I like about, about gardening because everybody's garden is a very personal reflection of themselves and what they like to eat and what they like to grow and what they like to cook. Um, and so it's, this is an intro to a section called veggie essentials because you really need to understand the different categories of vegetables so that you can make a strategic decision based on your own priorities for your garden, whether what what you want to grow, what you think is worth it and what you think is not worth it, which is different for all of us. Yeah. Well, this isn't something that's going to be documented on the back of the seed packet. This is something where you have to grow these items and go through a season or two and really think about the harvest and whether or not it's worth it to you. Right, right. And and there's there's things that I don't grow anymore because I don't think they're worth it. And Butternut squash would be one of those things. If I had more room, I'd grow lots of butternut squash, but I don't have the room. It takes up too much room. It takes a long time to get a butternut squash, and you don't actually get that many per plant. And so I, in this section, I go through some of those categories, like in what season will you get the harvest so that you can try to spread out your harvest so that you don't just plant 
vegetables that only give you food in the summer. You want to make sure you plant vegetable plants that give you food in spring, summer, and fall, and maybe even winter, depending on where you live. Um, and then I go into how much food will you harvest from each plant. So that goes back to the onion, plant one, harvest one. Not worth it, according to my sister. <laughs> um, and then there's things that where you plant one and then you harvest for a short time. Like cilantro would be an example where you can go back and harvest a couple times. But especially for those of us who have warmer summers, it's not going to last very long. So you might only get a couple of harvests. And then there's things that you plant one and you harvest for a long time, like kale. So I think kale is one of the things that's the most worth it to grow in your garden. Because here in Wisconsin, I, I plant it in April. And actually with my season extension, I plant it even earlier. I usually plant it in March. And I'm harvesting from the same plant the entire season. I think this year I, I harvested my kale into November. And so the same plant from March all the way through to November, I guess I just kept getting going back and back and back and keep harvesting kale because it kept regrowing leaves. Um, and then we talk about how big do the plants grow. So I had said that I don't plant butternut squash because it gets too big. It's long and a big, long vine and it kind of takes over and it's kind of a bully plant. So I decided I don't have room for butternut squash. It gets too big. Um, and so depending on the size of your garden, you might want to focus on small plants or medium plants or maybe small, medium and large. It all depends on what kind of space you're working with. And um, if you only have one little four by four bed, maybe you want to grow a bunch of different small vegetables so that you have more variety. Or maybe you love butternut squash and you want to fill up your whole bed with butternut squash. That's, you know, it's totally up to you. Yeah, go for um, it. And then we talked about how many days until you get a harvest. So there's some things that you get a harvest really quickly, like radishes would be a, a good thing, especially if you have kids. They don't want to wait 120 days to <laughs> harvest. A butternut squash, they want to wait, they barely want to wait 21 days to get a radish. Um, and, and same with you, it's good to have some of those things that are quick payback, especially in the spring. I like to plant some of those things that are just short season vegetables like arugula or radishes or turnips, where within 21 to 28 days, I'm already harvesting. And that's exactly what I want in the spring when it's been a long winter. Um, and then there's some, some that are more like a medium season vegetables, 40 to 80 days, and then things that are going to take a while. The long season vegetables like butternut squash that can take up to 121 days or 120 days, Brussels sprouts, pumpkins, sweet potatoes, garlic, some of those things that take a long time. But if you love them, you're willing to, to wait. Um, and then you kind of look at each vegetable according to all those different categories and you kind of bring it together into a, the big picture. So kale, it's kind of, you know, it's a medium sized vegetable. It doesn't really take up that much room. It, it's kind of medium days to harvest. I should get a harvest in 60 days or so. I can harvest for a really long time. And so when I look at that whole picture, I can say, okay, is that is kale worth it to me to grow in my own garden? And when I look at that, the full picture of kale, I say, yes, I definitely want to pick, grow kale. Now, of course, also related to that is, do you eat kale? <laughs> Does your family like kale? Can you use the kale? And that's 
that's a whole a whole another part of the big picture. But we love kale. We never have enough kale. We eat tons and tons of kale all throughout the season. So so yes, for me, kale is worth it to grow. But for you and your family, you might decide, no, you're not going to grow kale. It's not worth it. Yeah. So I, for me and for everybody, I think it's important to understand each of the vegetables and, and the big picture that you can decide when you're doing your garden planning. Are you going to grow that vegetable or not? Yeah. Well, and I think that's what I love so much about your planner is, you know, for so many people, their garden planning consists of one question. Am I going to have a garden this year or not? And then they kind (laughs) of stop there. Yeah, I'm going to do a garden or no, I'm not going to do a garden. And then that's the end of it. But your guide covers so much and it, but it's just, again, right back down to the basics. What vegetables are winners that give and give and give like kale, like summer squash, you know, where you can just harvest all summer long. What vegetables have the short season where you can plant them and you can get to them, you know, very quickly. There's just a lot of things to consider. And I think people can get overwhelmed, but you lay it out in such a way that it's just like, hey, think about this. Now think about this. And it's all with the assumption that we're going to think about this a little bit. And it always comes back to, is this what makes sense for my family? And that's why it's smart, which is the whole point of this guide is that you can be the smart gardener. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I I can't tell you what you should be growing in your garden. Only you can decide that. And like I said, that's what I love about gardens. Gardens are so individual. Every person's garden that you're going to go visit is totally different because it's a reflection of them and their family and their life. So you, it's something that you really have to decide for yourself. And that's why I think it is worth it to put a little bit of thought into some garden planning before the season begins so that you can think about it now when you're more relaxed and you have a little bit more time in the winter. And really, I think garden planning can be fun. Looking through seed catalogs and maybe looking on Pinterest for some ideas or getting some books out of the library. All of it should be fun and it should ignite your excitement and your creativity and your imagination and your just your love of gardening. It's a way to revisit and get in touch with that love of gardening so that it you know, sometimes it doesn't feel as present in the winter when I look outside my front window and my garden is covered in snow and I can't go out there and harvest something for dinner because everything's frozen. For me, garden planning is a way to reconnect with the process and really build some anticipation. If you're looking at seed catalogs and you're thinking about last season and you're planning for this season and thinking about your your vision and your goals, you just, you just start to get excited. You can't help that. Um, and then if you're somebody that starts seeds, you, your garden planning can lead into seed starting. And then that just takes you right into spring. And before you know it, you'll be out in the garden and have your hands in the soil again. So, so that's my reminder is gardening garden planning should be fun. It should be an enjoyable process that really gets you excited for the season. Yeah. And who can't get excited about shopping lists? And when you came (laughs) up with your shopping list, you came up with three different categories. The first is the seeds that you want to order and then the plants that you plan to start at home versus plants that you'll buy from the garden center or big box stores or what have you. What's on your list this year? Well, to be totally honest, 
Um, I have not even started my garden planning yet because I just got back from vacation. <laughs> so I went through all my mail and I have my pile of seed catalogs next to my favorite reading chair. Um, and actually that I was just said to my husband, Ooh, maybe tonight I'll look through my seed catalogs. Um, and so that's really my first step is I'll, I just start looking through the catalogs and just see what, what's out there, what new varieties. In fact, one of the ones we got before we left for vacation in December, my sister's been staying with us and it came in the mail. And that night I was like, Oh, I think I'm going to look through my seed catalog. And said, Oh, I had a feeling that would happen. <laughs> I was like, I just can't wait. I have to see what, what new and exciting things are out there. So, so that that's really my first step is I just let my, really just let my imagination and my planning wander while I look through the seed catalogs and I'll start to circle things that catch my eye. Um, so my first step is kind of just whatever, anything's a possibility at this point. Let me just see what catches my eye in the seed catalog. And then I'll, I'll get out the seeds that I already have. I keep them all in a, a little plastic box in my basement uh, and I'll take out my seeds and then I'll start to dig in a little bit more seriously to see what do I want to order. So, and I actually have decided that it's easier for me to work through vegetable by vegetable. So I'll start, you know, I'll start with tomatoes and I'll look at what tomato seeds do I have? What varieties do I have? And then I'll look at the couple catalogs that I have and I'll just look at the tomatoes and I'll look through and see, is there any other varieties that I want to add to my repertoire this year? Uh, often it's yes. And so then I'll kind of look through the seed catalogs and then decide which ones that I want to order to add to what I already have. Sometimes I'll decide, no, I have enough tomatoes for this year. Um, and I'll just make do with what I have. But that's hard to do. <laughs> There's always good, new new things to try. Um, and so that's kind of how I work it. And then uh, since I start seeds, I usually make a list of what I'm going to start. Um, and then I actually, sometimes I buy a few plants from the farmer's market. If it's something that I don't grow a lot of, like sun gold tomatoes, I usually just plant two. So it's not really worth it for me to buy a whole seed packet. So I'll just go to the farmer's market and buy two sun gold starts. Um, and there's a few other things, maybe some flowers that I start a lot of flowers, but there might be some flowers that I, I don't start. And I'll say, oh, I'll just go to the nursery. I'll just go to the farmer's market. And so I usually make myself a little list that I remember in April and May. What what are those plants that I wanted to buy? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> in your book, you feature 10 unique and colorful varieties to grow. And I'm always fascinated to hear people's top 10 lists, different varieties of vegetables that they're interested in growing. Walk us through these. Tell us about each one of them. I think you've got some really great selections here. I know I've talked to a few people about some of these. Let's start out with Jimmy Nardello's pepper. Mm, such a great pepper. Yeah, just and beautiful. I didn't have any this year because of my pepper woes, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, it's it's a an heirloom variety from Seed Savers. It's long and skinny, so when people come to my garden, they always think it's a hot pepper, but it's a sweet pepper, and it's got such a great taste. It doesn't really have any seeds, so we always like them for freezing because we just chop them up, and we don't really have to worry about removing seeds. It has a few seeds, but not like 
a bell pepper has seeds uh, and we actually eat a ton of them just fresh right out of the garden almost like they're not really apple they're not i was gonna say like apples but they're not apple shaped <laughs> but they're yeah we eat them they're really sweet they're a really great variety i often have eight ten twelve peppers on one plant so i def i highly highly recommend them especially in, if you're in the upper midwest like i am how about the lively yellow pepper, which I'm assuming you also lost last summer? Yeah, I did lose the lively yellow. Um, yep. Yeah, well, I, as, as we talked about before, I love growing peppers and I've tried a lot of varieties and all pepper varieties are not equal. And so, again, I'll put a plug in. If you haven't had good luck with peppers definitely try some of the varieties that I recommend because pepper varieties really matter very much so. Um, and so lively yellow pepper is one that I've trialed that I had good success with. And it's of course really fun to have all different color peppers when in the summer. So I usually try to grow orange and purple and red and yellow just so I can have a mix. And there's just a, such a delight to go out and harvest a bright yellow pepper. I mean, what, what, what bigger joy in life can there be? <laughs> I always get excited and I always joke to my husband that I, peppers are just one of those things that feel so valuable to me, because, maybe because they're so expensive at the store, especially yeah. in the winter, that when I have a lot of peppers, when I'm harvesting lots of peppers, I just feel so rich. It's like this, this wealthy <laughs> feeling where I think like, oh, I have a fridge full of colorful peppers like what else could I need in life I'm That's just exactly right. I'm so abundant <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I think you mentioned that in the, the last time we talked too and and it's just that when you have such a wonderful harvest and you can just go and get those things you just feel like you've you've made it you've arrived it's the equivalent of not having to go to the grocery store it's wonderful <laughs> yeah exactly and you grew it yourself and, and it's you grew beautiful it and nutritious yep. so That's great yeah how about the yellow and Chiogia beets? Yeah, so um, I never liked beets until I started a garden, and now I love beets. And for us, it's one of the things that we can store over the winter, so we're still eating beets from our fall garden. Yeah, I love beets. One of my favorite salads is a beet salad with goat cheese and walnuts or any type of nut, actually. I just love beet salads. They're fantastic. Yeah, I I definitely think that's true. In fact, I think my husband was going to cook something with beets tonight for dinner. Um, and a lot of people just grow red beets, but I love to mix yellow beets and the shiogia beets, which are the candy cane beets. And actually this year I grew, or last season, I grew white beets. They're called, they were called white avalanche. And I really liked those as well, actually. And so part of this little section is 10 unique and colorful varieties to grow to just remind you that there's much more out there than just red beets, just green peas, just green beans, just green peppers. There's so many interesting varieties and colors and shapes and sizes out there. And I definitely encourage people to, to order something new that looks unique and fun to grow because it adds a little bit more spice to the to the garden each year. Yeah, so, that's great. How about golden sweet peas and purple ruffles basil? 
Mm, such a great pea. So golden sweet peas are, it's a yellow, kind of like a, uh, a snow pea, a flat pea. Um, and I have mostly grown green peas in my life. And I saw these in the catalog and I planted them on the trellis in my front yard. And I actually fell in love with them. They're so beautiful. So, you know, if you grow green peas, you can't really see the peas very well. Um, And these yellow peas, I would come out of my house, out the front door, and I would look at the pea trellis, and all the little yellow peas were like these little golden jewels hanging off the trellis and the vine every day. Um, And so aesthetically, they were really beautiful. They taste good, and they're actually way easier to harvest. If you've ever grown green peas, you know that sometimes it's hard to find the green peas on the vines. So when you grow yellow peas, it's very easy to harvest them and you don't miss any, which is a an added benefit to the golden sweet peas. And then purple ruffles basil is a really beautiful basil. Very, It would be at home in your ornamental garden or a pot that you have uh, that you're planting with flowers. The leaves are just like what it what it sounds like. They're more of a ruffled leaf. Uh, it tastes really great. I usually mix it in with my green basil, um, and I like to use the leaves in salads and julienne them and put them on soups or in different things that we cook in the summer. So unfortunately, the first time I grew it, I tried to make pesto with the purple basil, and I thought, ooh, it's going to make purple pesto but it was more like a gray pesto. So I can't get get any purple pesto, but it's still one of my favorites and one of the ones that I grow in my garden every year. Deep purple carrot. Deep purple carrot is a beautiful carrot to grow. Certainly, if you love to grow carrots, orange carrots are not the only option. You can grow purple, you can grow yellow, you can grow white carrots. Um, this has been one of my favorites. I like to try different purple carrots and this one was amazing. If you have the book, uh, have my book, you can open up to page 75 and you can look at the picture because it's just so amazing. But for people that don't have the book or can't, or can't see the picture, it's a purple carrot, but there's white lines that go through it kind of on either side of the core of the carrot. So I have a picture where I sliced it open Uh, And it has these really interesting white center. But each of the carrots were so different. Sometimes you would cut it open and it would be slightly orange or slightly yellow or streaks of orange and yellow. And so every time I would take these into the kitchen and start using them for dinner, I would just marvel at how beautiful they were. They were almost too, too beautiful to eat. And so that also is one of the reasons why it's even more fun to grow really beautiful food because I think it adds another layer of joy to the gardening process when you're going out to your garden and you're harvesting things that are really beautiful and then you're bringing them back into your kitchen and you're cooking with them. So just like the deep purple carrot, it fed us and it was fun to grow and it was also really beautiful just to have in my kitchen and to be cutting up with my knife. It was like this little piece of art that I brought into my kitchen every time I harvested them. And it has a little white streak through it. Yeah. 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 And some of them had yellow streaks and orange streaks. It was just a pretty, it was a very amazing carrot. Now, where did you get that one? It's <sighs> a good question. Probably. Well, it's got to, like I said, I order most of my seeds from high mowing seed savers or Johnny's. So it's got to be one of those three. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, 
I think I got it from Johnny's. How about the dragon tongue bean? Yeah, dragon tongue bean. I used to run a youth farm, so I worked with kids, uh, especially elementary school kids, and they loved dragon tongue bean. So it's a whitish green bean with this purple modeling on it. And I could never, I never knew if they loved the bean because of the name or because how it looked or because they liked how it tasted. But every, every September when they would come back from, from summer break and come back to the farm, they would always say, Megan, do we have dragon tongue bean? <laughs> and I said, yeah, of course we do. I, I always had to plan it for them. But so if you have kids, you can try the dragon tongue bean and you maybe you can figure out if your kids love them, if it's the name or how they look or how they, t- they taste. I'm not sure, but, but I didn't care. As long as they love the bean, that's all that mattered. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, how about the dancer eggplant, which is so beautiful? Yeah, dancer eggplant is probably my all-time favorite eggplant. It's a cross between the traditional globe eggplant that most of us are used to seeing kind of that fatter dark purple one and then the Japanese eggplants which are skinny uh, it's in the middle so it's not big and fat like the globe eggplant but it's not skinny like the Japanese eggplant but one of the things I love about it besides the fact that it performs well all of these are good performers and they taste good as well as being beautiful um, is the is the color the color is this electric purple color that i've i don't i don't think i've ever seen on any other vegetable so it's really beautiful um and i like i like that size because it's the cross between sometimes the japanese eggplants seem a little too skinny and small and sometimes the big globe ones feel too fat like the pieces are too big so i like this is a really good size eggplant as well well and you're not completely without ornamentals in your garden. You have these various suggestions for your favorite six annuals that you're planting in your vegetable garden. You like the State Fair Zinnia, Lady in Red Salvia, the Prairie Sun Rudbeckia, Strawberry Fields Globe Amaranth, Verbena bonariensis, is that it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And blue Victoria salvia. Those are your top. Yeah, I grow a lot of flowers in my garden. And that's definitely one of my biggest tips for people that want to improve the aesthetics of their garden. So I feel like sometimes vegetable gardens get a bad rap because people say, oh, they're not really that pretty. People then put them in the back of their yards. They don't really put them front and center. So one of my missions is to, to try to convince people like a vegetable garden can be just as beautiful as a perennial garden. And you, there's no reason why you have to shove it in the back corner of your yard. My vegetable gardens are in the, my front yard and my side yard. I live on a corner, so they're highly visible. They're the first thing that you see when you come to my house or if you drive by or walk by. And so one of my secrets, not so secret secrets, is that I plant a lot of flowers, mostly annuals. I like planting annuals versus perennials in my vegetable garden because they're on the same cycle as vegetable plants and I can clean them out and prep my beds and I don't have to work around perennials. But it's fine to to grow perennial flowers in your vegetable garden as well. Not only are they beautiful, they complement the vegetables really nicely. They bring insects into your garden, beneficial insects, and then you can harvest the flowers and make bouquets and and have bouquets around your house and give them to neighbors and just have flowers whenever you want them. I have 
a uh, little six-year-old next door neighbor and she would always come by and harvest help me harvest out of my garden and at the end I always always say okay you want to make a little flower bouquet and she would always make a bouquet for her mom <laughs> so it's just a fun thing to share with people sometimes if I go over to people's houses for dinner I bring them a little flower bouquet or, or a friend's birthday so just it feels really luxurious to have a lot of flowers in in your garden that you can harvest at any time and give away and put in your guest room and your bathroom and just put them all over your house. Yeah, that's great. And you know, you have this great picture of this beautiful arch. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I often, most years I have a livestock panel, different livestock panel trellises. This one is one of the arches that I made. Um, and on top of it, it has delicata squash and a clematis actually. Um, and then, yeah, at the foot of the arch, I have some zinnias, and then I think they're perfusion zinnias, and then I have some of the globe amaranth rubecchia there. Oh, okay. So, I all yeah, almost not every single bed that I plant in my garden do I mix flowers, but a lot of the beds I at least tuck one or two flowers in somewhere somewhere in the bed to give some nice pop of color. Yeah, just and, beautiful. I bet you get a lot of compliments on your squash arch. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I, I get a lot of comments in general in my garden just because I'm out there a lot and uh, it's pretty close to the street. So there's a lot of, we've met actually a lot of our neighbors and people that live in our neighborhood that way. Um, Cause people always stop by. Sometimes people pull their cars over to ask, say that they, how much they like our garden or ask a question or make a comment. Um, we've met some neighbors that way. Uh, we certainly share food with our closest neighbors to our house. Um, so it's been really fun. It's a great way to to create a little bit of, of more community in your neighborhood. And um, there's people that tell me that they purposely walk by my garden as much as possible when they're walking their dog or on their daily walk or so it's been really fun just to just to see the reaction of our neighborhood. I'm sure some people maybe think that a lawn would be better, but we, we specifically picked a neighborhood where we knew it wouldn't be a big deal. We had a huge front yard garden. So, (laughs) so we have a, we have a pretty laid back neighborhood where, where most people I think are pretty happy that to see somebody in the neighborhood growing food in their front yard. And we're not the only one. So that's nice too. There's a bunch of people in our our neighborhood that have front yard gardens or a little farming neighborhood in Madison. I love that. Well, you know, you wrap up your book and you're talking about record keeping and you mentioned a couple of things like creating a garden map and you create garden binders. I do the same thing. I create a garden binder every year. You mentioned that keeping records is something that you think makes you a better gardener. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. Just like I've learned that successful gardeners are people that make a plan. I also think another part of that is people who are who have a lot of success over and over keep simple records. When you keep some records, you start to learn what's working, what's not working. We've already talked about how important varieties are to the success of your garden. So it's a way to keep track of what you're planting so that you can go back and decide whether a certain variety is something that you want to plant again. I think we've all had the <laughs> the experience where you buy a plant at the farmer's market and you plant it in your garden and maybe it comes with one of those little tags and you stick the tag in your garden and then by the end of the season, the tag is gone. 
some garden troll <laughs> stole it. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened to it. So after that happened to me several, well, more than several, many years in a row, I thought there's got to be a better way to keep records. And so one day I decided I should just make a map of my garden and I'll just write down what I plant where on the map so I don't have to worry about losing the seed packets or the tags or whatever. Um, and so since then, that's exactly how I keep records. And I try to teach when I teach classes and talk about it in the book. I, I really encourage people to make a map of their garden. And it doesn't have to be something that's to scale. The first map I ever made, I just stood in front of my garden and just freehanded a quick map. Yeah. Um, and then every season, I get out a fresh copy of my map. And I write the year down and then I start to keep record. Mostly I just write down the date that I planted something, the variety, and then how many that I planted. For me, it's really helped me refine my garden over time. Then I can see year to year, what, when did I plant spinach? What date? How much did I plant? Which varieties did I plant? Um, and so for me, you know, if I, it, if I'm going to put all the time and energy into my garden, which is time and energy that I love spending, but it's still a lot of work, I definitely want to get the most out of my garden that I can. And so part of that for me is to is to take a critical eye to my garden and, and really decide what, what varieties are performing and what aren't. And, and the way that what helps me do that really is being able to keep records so that I can go back and review. Or, for example, in the fall, at the end of the gardening season, we were talking around dinner one night and said, we, I said, I feel like we don't have, have much kale left. We, we ate as much kale as the plants could produce. That's how much kale we ate. And so, I, so my husband said, well, maybe we need more plants next year. And I said, all right, well, let me see how many plants we planted. And so I could take out my map and see how many plants I had planted, which was 15. I can't believe 15 kale yeah. plants is not, an, is not enough. And so, so I, so then I made a note and then, so this year I, I can say, okay, we planted 15 next, last year. It didn't feel like it was enough. So maybe this year I'll plant 18 or I'll plant 19 or, you know, probably, I don't think I'll plant 20, but somewhere between 15 and 20 I'll plant. Um, And the only way I know that is because I kept some records. So it helps me tweak my garden from year to year to better reflect our eating habits and our needs, which certainly change over time. And then it helps me decide which, which varieties I really like and which ones I could do without over time. So yeah. it's a, it's a nice way to be able to repeat your successes and then get, get rid of the things that aren't working. I know that after people listen to you today, they're going to know, I mean, your goal was really to create a planner for folks that would be a fresh and simple resource that they can use. And what I love about it is that it's step-by-step it's practical, it's down to earth. And when everyone is done with it, when they're done using their smart planner and becoming more of a a smart gardener, they will basically have a personalized blueprint 
for their own successful garden that they can just work off of year after year after year because the process stays the same. So I think you did a great job here. And I know that you are going around the country to many different gardening venues and workshops and conferences that are being held. Maybe share with us a few places that you're going to be and then also how people can get your book if they want to get a copy of the Smart Start Garden Planner. Sure. So this is the time of year, February, March, April, that I that I usually hit the road and speak at different gardening conferences and events and flower shows, which is really fun because it gets me out and about and meeting other other passionate gardeners all over the country. Uh, generally, I mostly travel in the Midwest because since I live in Wisconsin. But this year in February, I'll be going to the Seattle Garden Flower and Garden Show, which I'm really excited about. I have never been there before. And it's supposed to be an amazing show, and they have lots and lots of work workshops and seminars. So I'll be teaching two different seminars while I'm there and then also going to lots of other people's talks. And um, so it'd be fun to to meet folks uh, who've listened to the show or on my email list, definitely come up and say hi. Uh, and then I'll be around, lots of places around Wisconsin. I'm not coming to Minnesota this year, <laughs> or at least not not the first part of the year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I will. I'm trying to think if I'll be near in western Wisconsin. I don't think I will be. I'll mostly be in central and southern and eastern Wisconsin. I'll be in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I'll be in southern Indiana in Paoli, Indiana. So um, folks can jump on my email list. I'd love to have you on my list. I usually send out one email a week on Sunday with a timely gardening topic. And sometimes I put in pictures of my garden this week. Uh, um, sometimes I put in pictures of my, I probably put in pictures of my vacation in Thailand. Um, so some personal stuff and some educational things. Uh, you can sign up on my website at creativevegetablegardener.com. Uh, and then you'll I'll keep in touch with you. And I have a, a free Facebook group of gardeners from all over the world. So if you sign up for my email list, you'll get an invite to the Facebook group. So um, yeah, I think that's the best way to get in contact with me. And you can find all my books. I also have a book about easy food preserving yes. and then a few eBooks as well. And I also teach online classes. So if you want to delve a little bit more deeply into some different topics like seed starting or season extension, I film a lot of videos in my my own garden, a lot of educational videos and walk people through the process of, of different things like seed starting and season extension, which is a lot of fun to help you master some different techniques that you might want to add to your toolbox this season. Yeah. Well, and you've been doing it for so long, over 15 years, really trying to help people become better, smarter gardeners. So you're a great resource for folks. I know you regularly post in the Still Growing Podcast group on Facebook, and we so appreciate that, that you're a great resource for listeners of the show too, Megan. So thank you for that. My pleasure. All right. Well, once again, it's been a total pleasure to have you on the show, Megan, and get a chance to talk about your Smart Start Garden Planner. Thanks for having me, and I wish everybody lots of fun and enjoyment planning their gardens for the season. Yeah. So 
All right, Miss Megan. Well, I will let you go. Thank you so much for doing this again. And My uh, <laughs> I can't believe we had to do that. Ah. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and I can't wait to share this episode with folks. They're going to love okay. it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for our show today featuring Megan Kane, also known as the Creative Vegetable Gardener and her Smart Start Garden Planner. I hope today's show helped you start thinking about creating a smart plan for your own garden, that personalized blueprint, including your own unique answers to some of the questions that Megan asked, recognizing the importance of carefully reading the information on seed packets and seed catalogs and also rolling up your sleeves to try some new varieties. Great advice from Megan. Just a reminder that the show notes for this episode will be under the Still Growing Podcast page over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T. M-A-M-A.com. I'm so thankful to my team over at Podfly Productions. I want to thank my editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ein Kadina. I'd also like to thank the women who make up my listener advisory board, Beth Ingle, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works in Griffin, a national brokerage firm, and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi, and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager over at American Beauty's Native Plants. And she was featured back in episode 553, where we talked all about adding native plants to your garden. For my sign-off today, I leave you with this thought to help you grow. Think about some of the plans, decisions, purchases, choices that you've made already for your 2018 garden and ask yourself, is that smart or not smart? Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a sixfootmama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Megan sent me a copy of her Smart Start Garden Planner last summer, and I immediately recognized the signature aspects of Megan's work. Clean design, simple... (laughs) There goes my alarm. Ah! Okay, here we go.